This recording is from Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. More information available at tempe.redemptionaz.com. If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors. Um, As the other guys already said, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers and grandmothers and so forth. Um, I want to acknowledge that today is one of those seesaw holidays, and what I mean by that, there's extreme high excitement, babies, pictures, um, and a lot, a lot of fun for those of you who are mothers, and you get a chance to just kind of kick back and let everybody kind of serve you and take you out to eat and do whatever it is that they do on Mother's Day, Um, and we're excited about that. We want to be able to celebrate that. On the flip side, when I say it's a seesaw, on the other hand, there, there's also the heartache that comes with this day. Uh, multiple people in our congregation have lost their mothers within the last few years. Uh, many of you have lost your mothers um, even before that. Um, there are many moms in our congregation, or many um, women in our congregation who want to be moms who have not been able to, who have miscarried, aborted, um, just the pain that happens with that, the relationship between a mother and a daughter or a mother and a son that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so we acknowledge both of those, and they give us an understanding of what we've been talking about and the kingdom of God. And that is the kingdom of God is already here, his presence, his glory, his beauty, etc. But then it's not yet here fully, and so it's not all the way it's supposed to be. So it's good, but it ain't all good, all right? And so what we're going to do for this moment is just kind of pray into those realities before we approach God's word this morning. So you guys bow your heads and go ahead and pray with me. God in heaven, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that you gave your son, Lord, not just dedicated him to us, Lord, but he was consecrated, that he was crucified, that he was raised from the dead, that we may have life, that we may have your spirit poured out upon us. So, Lord, we celebrate, Lord, the gift of mothers and who they are in our lives and who you've called them to be. God, we also, Lord, in this acknowledge the pain and the loss and the suffering, Lord, that your spirit would be with us, your spirit would be as real to us and tangible to us, Lord, as the bread and the wine that we will partake in later. God, I ask that you would illuminate your scriptures today, that Christ would be exalted, that we would see him, see that he is one who is in control, that he is God who is with us, Lord. And so we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to continue in our series of Mark. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 35 through 40 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high. Don't be shy. And then one of the ushers will be able to get you a copy of a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we were handing out. It is our gift to you. And if you do get the Bible we're handing out, we're going to be on page 579, I believe. Um, As you turn there, just a couple things. Um, On Mother's Day, one of the things I usually like to do is say, here's some things I've learned from my mom. Uh, uh, But instead, since I was a person that was raised by a lot of women, we didn't have a whole lot of guys in our family, and so I had my— raised by a lot of women. I didn't say I had a lot of women. Some of you guys went somewhere you wasn't supposed to. And, and, and so my mom, my grandmother, etc. So five things that I've learned from the women in my life. First is my grandmother. My grandmother was amazing. She's with Jesus now. I will see her when I get there. We'll high five the whole deal. But here's what I learned from my grandmother. Humor. She was so hilarious. The be- I mean, she had jokes for days. And what I learned about her is it's okay to laugh at yourself and sometimes it's okay to laugh at other people. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. Um, number two is my, my mom's youngest sister, my, my auntie. That's what we called her. And she, she, was, uh, she taught us education, the value of education. She was the first in their family and our whole family to graduate from college as well as to get her master's. And she moved from Atlanta, Georgia, moved down to Los Angeles to help my mom raise us. And, um, and she, when I say help raise us, I mean she, she was basically like our mother. And so she gave us gifts, she gave us hugs, and she also put, put, that, put that whipping on us. I think you call them spankings. 
Um, and so there's, there, literally, so one, one time, um, my mom would always say, you can't leave the, our apartment complex until I get home from work. But the problem was my mom worked a long ways away, and by the time she got home, the streetlights would be on. And if you grew up how I grew up, once the streetlights come on, you can't go outside. So I would just kind of roll the dice and go out every once in a while. I happened to be at Albertsons with my friends doing what? I have no idea. Um, and my aunt, who lived 15 minutes away, stopped at that particular Albertsons, saw me in the aisle, and I looked at her, and my heart dropped because I knew this ain't good. This ain't good at all, right? Because now I'm, I'm going to get it from her. She's going to call my mom. My mom's going to come over. I'm going to get it from her. She's going to call my grandma. My grandma's going to come over, and I'm going to get it from her too. And then my sister's probably going to jump in. And so that's how it was, which brings me to the third person, and that is, that, that is my sister. My sister is six and a half years older than me, and my sister taught me how to fight, literally. Um, you guys laugh at that because you had never met my sister. Um, and, and having a big sister legitimately, I don't know, I have an older brother and I have an older sister. My sister taught me how to fight, and not only just fight, but also to fight for other, others. She was really big into, if someone was a bully, he needs to be beat up. Beat up. <laughs> like, if you were bullying somebody, beat that bully up. And that was just her deal, bully the bullies. And I'm sure that's nowhere in scripture, but man, it was good. Um, <laughs> Number four is my wife, Holly. Um, as a mother and as a wife, there is no one in this world who has taught me more what it means to be loved. No one who I could be as transparent, as vulnerable emotionally, and has been able to accept me for all I am. Um, no, one, no one in my life has been able to, to do that as much as my wife has. And mainly is, if you get to know my wife, um, which you probably won't, um, but uh, sh she's committed. And when she says she's going to do something, she's going to, she's going to do something. So I knew when, when Holly said, I will be with you until death do us part, I know she means it because she doesn't commit to very, very many things. But when she does, she's all the way in. And so I'm thankful for that. And number five, and lastly, my mother. Um, my mother, and you guys have heard me talk about my mom millions of times, and I'm going to a lot today. Um, so my mother taught me Jesus. And when I say she taught me Jesus, did my mom read stories to us? Absolutely. Did my mom take us to church? Absolutely. My mom took us to church all the time. We always like to joke, we were drug babies because my mom drug us to church. <laughs> Wednesday night, Friday night, I mean, whatever was going on, she took us to church. But my mom taught me Jesus in this way. She taught me the forgiveness of Jesus by the way that she forgave people. She taught me the compassion of Christ by the way that she served people. She taught me the mercy of Christ, the way that she served the least of these, which in many cases we found ourselves in those situations, and yet she still had in herself to pour out to others. My mom taught me the sovereignty of God, not by reading Romans chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11. She taught me the sovereignty of God by trusting in the way that God will always providentially provide for his people. My mom taught me the healing power of Jesus by the way in which she prayed and the way in which she leaned upon Jesus. When I became a Christian later in my years in college, and I really, really, truly embraced Jesus Christ, not just an acknowledge of who he is, but embraced him. I remember talking to my mom going, you, you watched me throughout college. You watched me do my thing. You knew I wasn't really walking with Jesus. How come you didn't slap me across the head and drag me through the aisles, you know, like you used to do? How, how come you didn't do that um, when I was in college? And she says, you know what? When I had you three, when I became a Christian, um, when you guys were kids, my mom became a Christian after she had us. My grandmother, who I mentioned was my dad's mother, um, was basically had a Ruth-Naomi relationship, if you read the book of Ruth with my mom, led her to Jesus. And she says, from then on, I knew I had these three babies, these three kids, and I gave them to Jesus very quick, like many of you mothers did today, and many of you fathers did today. And she goes, and in that, I knew it was my responsibility to teach you Christ as long as I had you in my home, and after that, you were God's. And I prayed, 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 and I trusted in who God is. Um, my mom's a singer, and she's a gospel singer. And the song that she sang over and over and over again was he's an on-time God. How many of you guys even know that song? 
<laughs> the correlation of those of us who know that song we, <laughs> has nothing to do with our skin color, I keep telling myself. <laughs> so he's an on-time God. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. And that was just a song she sang all the time. Well, we look at the text today. That song is fitting for us this morning. Because what we have is Jesus, and there's a middle of a storm, and the disciples are tripping, and Jesus has to wake up and calm the sea. That he doesn't come in the way that they want him. He doesn't come on time, but he may not come when we want him, excuse me, but he comes right on time. And so we begin to see these things. And so two things that we're going to walk away in this text this morning that I want you to get as it relates to Jesus Christ and the gospel of Mark that we see here. The first is that Jesus is great, so you don't have to be in control. Looking at the character of Jesus, Jesus is great, so you don't have to be in control. And then number two, what we have is Jesus is glorious, and so you don't have to fear your circumstances. Again, Jesus is great, so you don't have to be in control, and Jesus is glorious, and so you don't have to fear your circumstances. And so if you have your Bibles and you're with me in Mark chapter 4, let's begin there in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. So here's what's happening in the context here, is one, we got to go back to the last two weeks. Jesus um, has been accused of being a demon. No one really knows um, who he is. He goes, I'm not a demon, I'm God. Those things don't go together. And then after that, he begins teaching about the kingdom. That was last week. And parable after parable after parable. And so there's a crowd of people around him. He doesn't have a mic to be able to speak to him, so he gets in a boat and he pushes back and begins to speak audibly to the people about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, he says. The kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out and plants seeds. And when it's on good soil, that people grow and they produce 30, 60, 100 fold. And he begins to talk about how he is the light of the world. Well, now he's still on that boat and he's still in Galilee. And what Mark is doing now is he's, there's a shift that's happening here. And he's beginning to highlight what the gospel of Mark is all about. And that is Mark showing us that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to redeem and restore all of creation through his life. That he is the embodiment of God himself. He is the embodiment of the kingdom himself. And you begin to see Jesus' authority. And so this story that we'll learn about today shows his authority and his power over nature. Next week, there's a man that's possessed with the demon. We're going to see Jesus' power, not just a demon, but many demons. And we're going to see his power and authority um, over the spiritual realm. And then after that, there's two stories in there where there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 straight years and no one can help her. And then she thinks, if I could just get the, the fringe of his garments, and then Jesus heals her. And there's a young girl who's dying and her father comes to Jesus and Jesus gets there and he heals her, showing he has authority even over the physical realm. And so you begin to see now in these next three weeks, Jesus exercises authority. So for now, now he's in a boat. He gets in the boat. He says, I want to go to the other side of Galilee. Like we're done over here. Let's go to Galilee. Because now he wants to go, go to the other side of Galilee to the Gentile world. Up until this point in Mark, he's been talking to only Jewish people, ethnic Jewish people. But now he wants to go share the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and if you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is anyone who's not an ethnic Jew. So that's most of us in this room. We're just pork-eating Gentiles, right? And so Jesus wants to go over to the sea to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Um, and so he pushes in the boat. It says that he gets in the boat, and there's other boats around him. So you can picture that. It's like his, his posse's with him. And, um, and, and they're about to head over to the other side of the sea. 
continue along here. It says this in verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the, in a stern, he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I love the first part of this is Jesus is tired. He shows his humanity. Like he's fully God, but he's also fully man. He's been preaching all day. Earlier before that day, he was casting out demons. My assumption is casting out demons and preaching all day. You'd be pretty tired, most of us, um, after that, right? And, and he wants to go to the other side of the sea, and so he goes, guys, I'm just, you guys take, you know what, you guys take the will, right? That's what he says. And so, I, I, I <laughs> and so, so, so he falls asleep. And, and what, I, what I love about that is, is Jesus is just, just completely relaxing here, and there's a storm that's happening. Let me give you the context there uh, geographically. So the Sea of Galilee in itself is 700 feet below uh, sea level, and then to the east and to the north and to the west, there's mountains there. And so when the wind can come in, um, what it creates is major storms, like major, major storms that even to this day, um, um, expert fishermen do not know how to handle their boats. The, Jesus had some expert fishermen with him. Um, a few chapters ago, we learned about how he had these fishermen who knew the waves. They, they couldn't handle this particular storm. Um, side note, what, what we do 10, 10 weeks before every sermon, we get together with all the other pastors and the other congregations, and we begin to talk about the text and what it says, what it means, and then sometimes we'll share illustrations. And then Luke Simmons, who's the pastor at Gateway, goes, here's what I'm going to say about this. He goes, I was actually in Galilee on the sea a couple years ago, and I got to experience those storms. That's not fair, right? You, can, you were there, right? It's like, I was with Jesus, right? You can't, that's, that's not fair. So all I can do is give you the geographical context. Sorry, I've never been to Galilee, right? Uh, <laughs> I've been to Guadalupe, <laughs> but I've never been to, to Galilee. So what we, what we have here is these storms that are happening, and Jesus is out. He's peaceful with God. He's tired. He's sleeping. And can you imagine that? Like, all of us have had those road trip buddies. Hey, you want to go to California? Yeah, let's go. But, but I don't like driving in the night. I'm that guy. I don't hate driving in the night. I, not because I'm afraid of the, I'm kind of afraid of the dark, but, but uh, I can't see that well. I'm like, and I might fall asleep. And I said, I remember my buddy Jimmy was like, man, I got you, man. I've been drinking Red Bulls all day. I'll, I'll be, like, I'll be awake. You know that person? Before we even got to Buckeye, he was out. We got to L.A., woke up, oh, are we, are we here? <laughs> like, yeah, we are here. That's Jesus. Jesus is like in the passenger seat, lean back, lean back, right, just out. And all of a sudden, there's a storm. There's this huge storm, and it's not just rain. It says that the boat is already starting to be filled, meaning the waters are getting inside the boat. The boat is not just being rocked. Like, it is going back and forth. The waters are in it. They're absolutely afraid. And then they begin to ask Jesus the same question that we ask Jesus when we go through storms in our life. They begin to ask Jesus the same things that we say or we ask Jesus when, when we have hard times, when the waves are crashing in on us metaphorically, when we have heartache, when we have pain, when we have suffering, when we have loss, that we have these questions, those of us who are Christian in this room and even those of us who are not Christians in this room. Listen to what his disciples say to him, the latter part of verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He's saying, teacher, wake up. Don't you care? We're dying here. We're, we're going to die. Do you care? And we ask those things to Jesus. 
Not, not, not so much because we, uh, we, we, we think that Jesus is going to do something. Um, not so much because we're really trusting in this character. We ask him because all we're doing at that moment, rightfully so, is we're looking at our circumstance, and our circumstance looks bleak. Let me just tell you, every single person in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, you will go through storms. You're probably going through one right now. And there'll be another one. And there'll be another one. And, and, and in us, it is a natural desire to say, if there is a God, and Jesus, do you care? Do you care? I remember growing up, my mom prayed to God all the time, went to church all the time, talked about Jesus all the time. And yet, we didn't have a whole lot. And I used to ask myself, why is it that my mom, I feel like, is the most devoted woman to Jesus, and yet we don't have a whole lot? There were moments where we went without. We went without lights. We went without things. And not just comparing myself to other people, but just going, we should have these things. If this is the God of the Bible, why are we going through these things? Do you care? I mean, think about it. I don't care where you land on this issue, that, that there are moms right now that are asking that question. The mom of Trayvon Martin, the mom of Michael Brown, the mom of Eric Gardner, they're, they're asking those questions right now. The mom of Freddie Gray, the city of Ferguson, the city of Baltimore. Again, I don't care where you are on it, the, the reality of it is, as mothers, you know one thing, I can lament with them. There's, there's loss there, and the question has to be, does God care? Does he care about those things? Is he great? Can he control these things? Is he in control of these things? And so his disciples in panic begin to look at Jesus and say, do you care about these things? Now listen, I'm not going to try to prove that God cares through some philosophical means or even through uh, just intellect. There's moments for that, and I think there's perfect apologetics for that. But for, let's deal with people the way we talk with people. And that is the way you, you, you begin to trust somebody as you look at their character. There are people in this world you look at and you go, I trust them. And you can love people and not trust them. We know that. But you, you, you trust people because of what they've been able to do over a period of time. Um, you, you trust what their actions have been, that you can, you can be consistent. You can say, I trust you. The reason why I, I trust my wife so much is this, the whole time I've known Holly, she's been the same person. Like, she, I, I can trust who she is. When it comes to Jesus, when it comes to God, we trust him if we look at his character. I remember I used to go into my coach's office, and he used to have this plaque up on his office, and I shared this with you guys before, um, but it always stuck with me. As you looked at him, it was behind him, and he'd always read it, and he would say, be careful because of what, you th what your thoughts, because your thoughts will eventually become your words. And be careful of your words, because your words will become your, your actions, and be careful of your actions, because your actions will become your habits, and be careful of your habits, because your habits become your character, and be careful of your character, because your character is your destiny. In essence, it's who you are. But over a period of time, what you say, what you think, what you do, what you form, who you are. Well, when we begin to look at Jesus and the life of Jesus, throughout the ways that God reveals himself, primarily through the word of God, through the Bible, that we begin to see his thoughts, that we begin to see his actions, we begin to see his work, we begin to see his care. Somehow they've forgotten that. Peter's on this boat. Just a few chapters ago, Peter's mom was sick with the fever. Jesus comes in and he heals her, right? His mother-in-law. Most people don't even care about their mother-in-laws, right? And Jesus comes in, and he heals her. They, they, they forgot about that. They, they forgot about that Jesus was the one who was entering into with the weak. They forgot about that. That, that. that just before this, Jesus was teaching, and they liked the teaching, but now that time is real, it's been really hard for them. It's been really hard for them to understand. And so we begin to look at Jesus' character and what we know about Jesus' character. 
And this is, leads to my first point here. Jesus is great, and so we don't have to be in control. Part of his character, he's great. He is God, right? And so what, what we see here, what happens next is him exercising not just his humanity, but exercising the fact that he is God, the second person of the Trinity. Read with me in verse 39. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So, so Jesus wakes up, and he rebukes the sea. And, and, and he doesn't say he just says, sea, calm down. He rebukes it, which is usually only used when talking about evil, the demonic presence. And there might have been in this a demonic presence, mainly because um, Satan knows Jesus is leaving one place where he's sharing the gospel. He's trying to get to the next place. In between, in this particular area, he brought confusion so that his followers, the disciples, may begin to distrust Jesus, which happens in our life all the time. That we have short-term memories, or our short-term memory is bad. We forget who God is and what he's done. But if we just take a step back, y'all, and we theologically reflect, and when I say theologically reflect, that's just a big way of saying, look at your life and look at the different moments in which God has intervened. Not when you became a Christian, even before you knew Christ, or even those of you in this room that don't know Jesus, that you can look at certain moments in your life and go, that was a divine intervention. If God didn't allow this to happen, if God didn't do this, I don't know where I would be. Because he's great, I don't have to be in control. When you trust people, you don't try to control things. When you don't trust, what do you do? You control. When you think no one else has got your back, you control. No one else is going to watch out for my kids. No one else is going to take care of my matters. No one else is going to take care of my future. So I would do whatever I can to control it. Ultimately, the question is, um, ask, even in our actions, does God care? Is he trustworthy? And we see he is great, he is powerful. When he begins to speak, realize he's not just sweet baby Jesus, right? He's Jesus who is Lord. He, he's the one who spoke things into existence, and now he's speaking again by the very power of his word. So um, I said my mom's, one of her favorite songs was, um, he's an on-time God, unless he, yes, he is. So we were, one morning, um, my aunt, who I'd mentioned as well, had a little baby, my little cousin, and... She called my mom and said, hey, you know, I can't leave the house. Can you go get diapers? Is this sell at Target? So we go to Target. My mom's always trying to get deals and always trying to hustle and stuff. She's like, you know, you can only get so many per person. So to my brother, she gave some money, get this many <laughs> to me. <laughs> so we got as many diapers as possible. I'm going somewhere with this. And so we put all these diapers and shove it into the trunk of my mom's Nissan Sentra two-door. And then me and my brother paper, rock, scissors to see who was going to get shotgun. Um, that's the front seat. And so we paper, rock, scissors to see who was going to get that. So I win um, as... Anyways, I win, and then my brother gets in the back seat, and we're on their way there. My mom goes, you know what? I need to stop in downtown L.A. because my mom was a preschool teacher, and, and, and you can get all sorts of crafts and fabric and stuff in downtown L.A. It's always cheaper. It's usually $1. And so we, we, went, we went down to, to Los Angeles, downtown L.A., to get this fabric while we're staying at the light. And if you've ever been to downtown L.A., people drive terrible. And so we're parked at the light. This car smashes us. Hydroplane onto the curb, we're in front of this donut store, and if you've ever been in a car accident, you know how you're just kind of out of it. My mom looks over to me, I'm in the front seat, and she says, are you okay? And I kind of come to and I'm okay. She calls my brother's name. She calls it again. So finally I turn over and my brother is laying, his head is laying on me, and just blood everywhere. So my mom gets out of her door, I can't get my door open. And so she gets out, and I get out on her side, and we're trying to get this door open. And these other grown men are trying to get this door open, and they cannot get this door open. Finally, 
this homeless person walks by. Somehow rips the door open, gets the seat up, because my brother's smashing the seat, lays my brother down on the ground, and then he just takes off. Now, either he was an angel or he was on PCP. <laughs> either or, I was thankful. <laughs> right? So my, my mom gets my brother down. He's not talking. And, 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 it's, and I'm freaking out. I've never had this happen before in my life. I literally freak out. Like I'm jumping around. And I mean, I'm just freaking out. I have no idea what to do. I think my brother's dead. And my mom comes to me and she puts her hand and she goes, God's got this. She gets on her knees. And she's holding my brother, and she's just whispering in his ear, God's got this, God's got this, he's got this, you're going to be okay, you're going to be okay. And I'm just watching her, and I realize her head split open in the back. And I'm like, Mom, you're, you're, ble- you're bleeding. Um, so my brother gets, uh, you know, we get rushed to the hospital, um, and, and uh, you know, he was fine. I mean, but, you know, he broke both his collarbones, his ribs, his face was messed up. And, and I just remember the doctor saying, man, it was so good that your younger son wasn't in the back seat, that your older son was. And she goes, you know what? Um, we got pictures from the car. Um, was there any cushion or something you guys had? We had all those diapers <laughs> in the trunk. <laughs> so it's like, Target. We totally hustled Target and ended up saving ourselves on the, on the whole deal. And the diapers were still good, by the way. Um, and so you have this moment. But the reason why I remember that is um, we were singing in that car. I wasn't. My brother and my mom were singing. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. And, I mean, he couldn't have showed up in a way. I mean, there, there was a storm. Um, so let me tell you this. Jesus is great. You don't have to be in control. God's got this. And l- l- let, me, let me read Jesus' words here so we can even go deeper into this. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus wakes up, he calms the sea, and then he looks at him and says, why are you afraid? The word afraid there literally means coward, lack of trust. He said, you don't trust me. I've been with you. I've been walking with you. I've been showing you. You don't trust me. Moms, you know what it's like for your kid to come to you and go, man, you, I don't think you care about me. And you want to go, are you Say it again, right? <laughs> like, how could you say that? And Jesus is saying, why are you still afraid? He's not mad at them because they're, they're scared, okay? There's nothing wrong with being scared. He's saying, you're not trusting me. Do you understand my words? Before we left, I said, we are going to go to the other side. When God says he wants something to happen, guess what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. He says, we're leaving here. We're going over there. Yes, there's storms. But when storms happen, what happens is we get rattled in our faith. And either we can cling on to God and say, we're afraid, we're scared, but we're clinging to you. Or we can question him and say, are you good? And all you got to do is look at stories in your life, stories in Scripture, and go, he's good. He cares. He cares about me. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to have storms. Look what he says here. Have you have no faith? Do you still not have faith? Jesus is not implying that if they would have had faith, there wouldn't have been a storm. Right? This is why I hate, and I don't use the word hate very often. I hate when preachers stand up and preach heresy that says that if you have faith in God, then bad things won't happen to you. That is a lie. 
You don't have to believe in God or you can have the best relationship with God. You are going to have storms. You're going to have more storms. You're going to have storms that damage you. You're going to have storms that damage the people around you, that you will suffer loss. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus promise that. In fact, here's Jesus' words. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. Like, like, like the only way in which we have peace is by trusting in him. The, the, the only way that we have comfort is by trusting in him. When we can relinquish control and say, God, you got this. It's when we're able to trust in him. But we're, we're not people that usually like to trust. Right? When you don't trust somebody, like I said earlier, you control. I mean, I think about it in small ways. Like one of the smallest ways for me is, I don't trust any of you guys with driving. If, you ever got, if I ever got in the car with you and I'm not driving, I'm annoying to you. Don't turn there. No, speed up. No, slow down. Oh, this is the way you want to go? Right? I'm the worst passenger seat driver, back seat driver, car next to you driver, next week driver. I mean, like, whatever, whatever it may be. And I don't trust people in that particular realm. Um, Jesus is great. He's, we could trust him and that he is in control and he's got this. He has it in his hand. There, there, there is nothing that will happen in your life that ultimately God won't be with you in. And so Jesus begins to show this. He's great. He's, you don't have to be in control. And then the last point here that we'll spend a little bit of time on is Jesus is glorious, and so you don't have to fear your circumstances. Read with me in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They're saying, Who, who, who is this? Like, who is this? Who is this? I mean, who is this? The disciples. They're not just people in the crowds. These are the people who've been following. They still don't get it. So far in the Gospel of Mark, the only people who get Jesus and know that he's the Son of God are the demons. So if you know Jesus, you're a demon. And, and so, they're, they're, so far, I mean, the disciples are still going like, yeah, oh, wait, who is this? And then something happens here. That something happens here. And what we have is they begin now to see his character. And here's the good thing about Jesus. Here's the good thing about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You could trust his character. He's not going to change, right? It's called immutability. He just doesn't change. He is who he is. And that, that's not the same way with us people, right? Because people, we change, right? You guys are lying if you don't think you change. Um, those of you guys who have been married for 20-plus years, ask them to talk about their spouses. They will say they've been married to the same person and yet 15 people all at the same time, Right? Uh, let's think of it this way. When it comes to parents, or grandparents, right? Grandparents. Those of you guys who just had kids, you guys now have made your parents grandparents. The way that your parents parented you is going to be way different than the way they parent your kids, right? Our parents strict. My mom was so strict. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, stop breathing. I mean, just everything, right? <laughs> My kids can do anything, right? Grandparents come in and all of a sudden they just like, hey, we're done. We did our work. We'll do whatever. I'm like, mom, mom, you can't let him do that, right? And my mom's like, it's all right. Let the baby do that. I'm like, it's like he can get away with murder. It's like, did he murder somebody? Ah, let the baby get away with that, right? And it's like, no. Okay, let's go even further here. Those of you guys, there's many people in our, in our church right now that are pregnant for the first time. Your wife's pregnant. It's awesome. Husbands, pretty soon you're going to look here and you're going to go, what did you do with my wife? And is she ever coming back? And usually not to after the first 12 weeks, um, usually called the first trimester, um, they change. 
God doesn't change. He's the same. And they begin to see it. They said, who is this? And I want to point out two words to you um, that happens here. And one is in verse 41. It says, and they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What he's talking about is his glory. The word glory can mean you give reverence to somebody, you give praise to somebody, you give respect. But it could also mean weight that someone is more weightier, that they have power, there's substance. And what he's saying is Jesus is, is weightier than you, than me, and anything that we can go through. Like there's no situation, there's no circumstance, there's no storm in which Jesus himself is, is not weightier than. And so will it hurt? Will we suffer? Will it be hard? Absolutely. But his presence is with us. What they begin to see is they are in the presence of a holy God. And that Jesus lets us know his words to us, his promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you go read in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, and when he says that, I will never leave you nor forsake you, the word leave there literally means I will not abandon you, or it can mean I will not let you sink. I'm not going to let it happen. It may hurt. You may have scars, but I'm never leaving you. That God is glorious. He has more weight than all of us. He has more weight than our circumstance. He has the entire world in his hand. Therefore, we don't have to fear our circumstances. Let me give you one last illustration of what this looks like. So my oldest son is definitely afraid of the dark. And I'd love to say he got that from his mom, but he got it from his daddy. Um, He's afraid of the dark. And so he will get up out of his bed, he will come into my room and say, Dad, Dad, and scare the crap out of me. I mean, I mean I'm sleeping, and all of a sudden it's like this dark, shadowy deal, and I wake up and I'm like, in the name of Joe. Oh, no, it's Noah. <laughs> Whew, right? <laughs> it's like, and he's just like, I'm scared. And I know what he wants. He wants me to walk him. No, I know what he wants. First thing he wants is for me to say, get in my bed. And I'm like, no, I bought you your own. You're going back to your own room. You're not getting in the bed with me. Because um, kids don't usually sleep in the bed with you. They just try to sleep on top of you or underneath you. Um, so you got to go back to your room. He wants me to, to pray with him. He wants me to tell him it's going to be okay. The, 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 we say this. He probably comes to my room at least twice a week. And I always tell him, perfect love cast out fear, buddy. God is with you. His love is so big, it's pushing everything else that is out of here. Um, he wants me to be with him because he thinks what's going to change is he can sleep if he knows my presence is there. Um, when he tries something new, if he's going to try a new sport, if he's going to a theme park, if he's going anywhere, Dad, are you going to be there? Because in his mind, I'm weightier than him. Just my presence alone can make him do something he's normally afraid of, something he's uncomfortable with if my presence is there. I am not God. But God's presence fills the earth. The whole earth, as Isaiah 6 says, is filled with his glory. That Jesus himself becomes the embodiment of that for us to believe in, to trust in, to follow. That we realize he is glorious. We don't have to fear our circumstances. His presence alone gives us the opportunity, gives us the hope, gives us the comfort, gives us the joy. And the midst of circumstances go, it's not all good. But God is great and he's glorious. Amen? The, the, the irony of the question of this, do you care, teacher, that we're perishing? is that Jesus came into this boat, Jesus came into our lives, Jesus came into our world for this reason, that everyone who would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That, he, that he, the whole purpose of why he was here, the whole purpose of why he was going from one part of the sea to the next, is that we could give him our marriages, that they would not perish, 
but have life, that we can give them our children, that they may not perish, but have life, that we can give them our future, they may not perish, but have life, we can give them our souls in the midst of stormy seas in our life, that we can say, it is well with my soul, because God is great and God is glorious. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you don't lie to us. You don't trick us. There's no bait and switch. You didn't promise us Disneyland when we believed in Jesus. You promised us life. You promised us the forgiveness of sin, and you told us that we have to bury, carry our own crosses, that there were tribulations, there are trials, there are storms, and they are breaking in. But you promised to be with us, that you overcame this world. That in this life, we do suffer, and we do die. But your word lets us know that though we die, we will live forever and reign with you. God, you are the hope of the world. You are the hope of us individually. You are the hope of us clearly. You are the hope that this country needs you, the hope that this, our cities need. You are the hope, Lord, that our families need. You are the hope that our parents need. You are the hope that our children need, that Jesus, that you are God. We can trust you. So God, where we don't believe, Lord, build our faith. Where we cannot see, Lord, give us faith. Where we're afraid, Lord, give us the fear of God not the fear of our circumstances. Where there's loss, Lord, help us to see in you that we've gained plenty. And God, where we are in want, help us to know that you are a great provider. You may not come exactly or even the way in which we want you to, but help us to trust that you will always be there on time. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. We thank you in the Holy Spirit, and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.